Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We hear a lot about uh, marriage glorifying Christ, and we hear a lot about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives love your uh Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You don't really hear a lot about remaining single for the glory of God. Remaining single for the glory of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 25 to 40. Now, as you know, the institution of marriage is being attacked. It is seen as sometimes irrelevant Especially when I speak to my unbelieving friends, they go, why do I even need this piece of paper? Have you ever heard that? Anyone ever say that? Why do I need a piece of paper? Or sometimes marriage itself is being redefined. The world will often then extol the virtues of being single. You see sitcoms. You see movies. And societal changes has taught the culture to value singleness, but for sinful And very selfish reasons. For casual sex. For the fear of commitment. Or simply for the very commonplace of a son. I always say this. Staying at home. Living in the basement. Playing video games until they're 30. Right? These are all worldly and selfish reasons to remain single. And, you know, without God's clear light, sadly, many folks remain single for the wrong reasons. Related to this, sometimes Christian couples, and I've I've seen this, sometimes Christian couples in the church will view someone who is single as if something was wrong with them. As if, what's the matter with you? You're like a second class Christian. And yet, this text is really to our single brothers and sisters. Raise your hand if you are single here today. Raise your hand. All right. This sermon is to our single brothers and sisters. God is speaking to you to consider staying single only for biblical reasons. Got it? Only for biblical reasons. To our married brothers and sisters, don't worry, there's application for you. You're not going to just sit in the heat for nothing, right? This text helps you to understand that being single is actually a viable, legitimate, and godly option if chosen for biblical reasons. This teaches that a brother or sister who chooses to remain single, either never marrying or has been divorced or has been widowed, is not weird, should not be looked at as strange, should not be cruelly made fun of. And sometimes, even Christian couples may see their single brothers and sisters as not normal or not desirable or something is wrong with them. That's absolutely not true. The emphasis is, oh, let's help the singles cope with them being single. This shouldn't be the case. If you're single, you should be living for the glory of God right now. Christ is glorious right now. Christ is sweet right now. Regardless of what happens in the future, amen? So our brother Jason read 1 Corinthians 7. I'm not going to reread it. I'm just going to read the text as we go through it. But the emphasis is on what pleases and honors the Lord in your circumstance. 
This all begins with the gospel. This is... Uh, this assumes that you know the gospel, that you are saved by the gospel. And then these vows or these commitments or these reasons as to staying single is for the spread of the gospel of Christ. It's practical advice given to Christians. It's for those folks who know that God has created them to image forth his glory and they have been called as an image bearer of God. To give him glory in their lives, in their, in their actions, in their thoughts, in their words, and, and how they treat one another, and how, how they view God. But we have all sinned and fall short of that glory. And we have created a chasm that is not crossable by us. And so God sends his son to be a redeemer, to die on the cross, to be the atoning sacrifice for us. Such that if you believe in him and have faith in him alone, you will be saved. And so what happens is now that you are saved, you come to this text. If you're single, this is speaking directly to you. So neither marriage nor singleness, before I even talk about this, neither marriage nor singleness is more spiritual than the other. Got it. There's not one that's more spiritual than the other. Neither is more devoted or neither is more godly. Paul is simply giving the necessary practicalities of choosing to be single for the Lord. To our single brothers and sisters, that is never having been married or have been divorced or widowed, God gives biblical reasons Six biblical reasons to remain single which honor the Lord. The first one, stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances. Stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances. Notice in verse 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord. All Paul is saying is, those who have, when, we t when he talks about in this context of virgins, these are people who have never been married. He says, I have no command of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying that there is no instance where Jesus himself teaches about the practical advantage of being single. And then he goes on and he says, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. This word opinion means, some people confuse it and think, oh, well, this must not be inspired. No, this is not what he means. What he is saying is, this is a decision. This is a resolve. This is a judgment. This is my judgment that even though Jesus didn't say it himself, Paul's teaching on singleness is authoritative and from God. He says in verse 26, and here's where we get the idea that you can stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances. Notice he says, I think that this is good in view of the present distress. And so this gives us the context of which Paul is talking about. Present distress means, the word there for distress means calamity, trouble, troublous times. Present really couches it in a context that means it was what Paul and the Corinthians were going through right then and there. So by that time, many Christians were being arrested and tortured, put in jail, and some were even being executed for their fidelity to Christ. Paul himself was part of that persecution before his conversion. And Paul knew that more was to come. 
When Christ said himself, an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. That's John 16. So with his finger on the pulse, he's watching the news. (laughs) He's watching CNN, Fox. He's watching it all, right? Watching the news, Paul felt the coming persecution that would take place. Ten years later, just ten years right after this letter was written. We know that later on, Nero himself, the emperor, would put uh, Christians in animal skins, sew them up, and then set wild dogs to them. We know historically that he would also take some of the Christians, dip their clothing in wax, and set them up around his garden as candles. And this is why Paul gave this advice. For this present distress... That it is good for a man to remain as he is. In other words, here's what he's saying. Persecution is indeed difficult for a single person. But how much harder would it be for a married person? How much harder would it be for a married person with kids? When you are married, you think about, if you get arrested, you think about, Who will care for my wife if I'm arrested? Who will care for my children? I mean, I can tell you this even from my own experience when we were overseas. The first time I wrote a will, the first time was when I was overseas because I started to think about this. What would happen to my family? What would happen to them if I, because I'm going to dangerous countries and I'm preaching the gospel. What would happen if I was arrested? What would happen if I was killed? I got to have a plan. And so, this is what you start to think about. And then in verse 27, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Just because there's persecution, marriage marriage is for life. If there are persecution and trials, you should not divorce over them. But he says, if Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you are single, there are going to be some practical advantage. Again, as I said, one is not more spiritual than another. Being single does mean you could run a bit faster if they are chasing you. Isn't that right? We have a dear brother. He's preached here a couple times. Well, one time. His name is Kupi. If you could remember to keep him in prayer. You guys remember Kupi? He's from Myanmar. And he keeps writing me texts um, about what the government was starting to do. And what they were doing because there was a, a fight in the election and a uh, disagreement in the election. The military junta came, took over, and they started to grab people, protesters, and just killing them. And so now he's sitting there writing us, pray for us, pray for us. And he's worried because he, he has a child now and his wife. And he's saying, pray for us that we would be faithful to the gospel. So stay single. This is what Paul says. If there is a persecution, if there is a difficult time coming, he says, it's good to consider this. There are some practical advantages of being single. Stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances. Number two, stay single to avert unneeded conflict. Stay single to avert Unneeded conflict. You notice he repeats it just in case people get him wrong. Paul says, if you should marry, you have not sinned. So marrying again is not sinning. And then he says, if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. 
So you could remarry as a divorced person or uh, if you have divorced in right circumstances or as a virgin you could remarry. Marriage is wonderful and it is a blessing. One is not more godly than another. But if you are able, you can consider the option of staying single. Now he says, verse 28b, yet such will have trouble in this life. This word trouble is the word flipsis, which means a pressing together, a pressure, an affliction. And what he's saying is that even the most godly of believers have remnant sin. My pastor used to say that marriage is to redeem sinners, but nonetheless sinners. Now, I love that we are having a premarital counseling with uh, Josh Berrien and uh, uh, Miss Keelan Whitehead. That's, this, this is really fun for us. And I love, uh, as we're going through this, all these details, uh, we have, I have Bonnie and Jeremy and me and my wife, and we're telling them, as the pressure comes, all the lovey-doveys go away. And sometimes, uh, all you understand is that you are in a house with another sinner. You, a sinner, with another sinner. And a lot of times, these conflicts and these troubles will come. And, and so, I don't know if they believe us yet, but we're, we're praying that they do believe us. Because they're, they're very starry-eyed, and I, I, I'm happy for them. But husbands and wives, we all have sinful thoughts. We have unbiblical thinking. We have our weaknesses. And when we are together, our sins are up close. Christian parents all have children who are born into sin. There's always some kind of conflict with the children and parents. It's not that marriage has problems all the time, but you will have some problems as you are married. Misunderstandings. Outbursts of anger. Hidden and then revealed sin. God gives a responsibility and resources for married couples to resolve them. Praise the Lord. He gives us Christ. We could do it. But the point is, as one commentator put it, marriage may cause some problems while it solves others. Does that make sense? It may solve the problem of the lack of intimacy, a desire for companionship, but it does bring its own problems. Singleness has its own problems. Marriage has its own problems. There's two distinct personalities coming together. Emotions, temperaments, sin, anger, selfishness, pride. And he says, and I am trying to spare you. You know, we often joke, but I think there's some truth to it. My wife says, if you go before me, I'm not remarrying again. I said, honey, you could remarry? You're free to remarry? She goes, no, I don't want to train another man. She said. We say that in jest, but it is absolutely her option as to whether or not she wants to marry or not. Because let me tell you, if you are enamored with hearts in your eyes and your head in cloud nine, thinking that if you get married, all their problems will be solved. You got another thing coming. Marriage is very hard work. Married people say amen. Isn't it? It's hard work to keep the romance alive, to keep each other first, 
to keep responding in kindness and in love. It is hard work. So there are troubles particular to singleness, but it may be multiplied if it's your case if you were married. Sometimes I may see a guy or a girl and and they always respond with, they have foot and mouth disease. You know what that is? Everything they say is a foot in their mouth. It's always offensive. Always hurting people. Comes out, man, that sounds a little racist that you just said. Did you know that? Oh, whatever, right? You need to know how to respond to people. And so... If someone keeps talking like that and mouths like that and is not gentle in that way, I may counsel, maybe you're not ready to get married right now. You're just going to hurt the girl that you marry. You're hiding all of this garbage, wooing her, and then when she gets married, she goes, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Right? So marriage does come with its own problems but here paul says if you're considering singleness to stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances to avert unneeded conflict and third to stay single to focus on eternal matters the world says stay single so that you could keep flipping the tinder the tinder app Keep, stay single so that you could keep dating and be a bachelor for life or a bachelorette for life. No, the Bible says no. If you are considering to stay single, stay single to focus on eternal matters. Look at verses 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on... Notice he says, let me compare two verses. Verse 29a, just a portion. This I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. The word shortened means to be limited, to be drawn together near the end. Look at verse 31b. So it's kind of sandwiched. For the form, here's the whole meaning of this text. For the form of this world is passing away. The word there, form, is the present scheme. The distinctive form, the nature. What, what the Bible is saying is this, this manner of life, our way of doing things, our mode of existence, this world's, this is what the Bible says, this world's mode of existence is temporary. And so he says, if it's temporary, sometimes you might get caught up in it. Such that you can't focus on the things of the kingdom. You're overly concerned with marriage. You're overly concerned with other things. And Paul gives four temporary features that are passing away. He says, number one, marriage. So that, notice in verse 29b, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as they had none. Marriage will disappear in the eternal state, except that of Christ and his bride. There are some cults that teach you that you can have multiple wives in heaven. That's, there's nowhere in scripture that says that. But Jesus even taught this in Matthew 22. He said, for in the resurrection, they, that is believers, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So married couples, look at each other and say, I love you. (laughs) But in heaven, we will not be husbands and wives. 
There's no more marriage in heaven. It is temporary. It says here, as though they had none. And what he's saying is, what it means is that service in his kingdom requires the same devotion from both the married person or the single person. You would live as if you had none, as if you weren't, you would live serving the Lord as devoted as a single person. In other words, even if marriage is passing away, we all need to focus on the eternal kingdom, both married couples and single people, as if they had none. But all this to say, sometimes marriage can so wrap your head that you're not focused on serving. You're not focused on Christ. You're not focused on the Word. Brothers and sisters, I love being married. I love my children. But God has given us a mission. Amen? And our, our family should be on mission together. Second, another temporary feature that's passing away are uncontrolled emotions. Okay? Emotions that take over. He talks about two different kinds. And those who weep as those who did not weep. And those who rejoice as those who did not rejoice. These are both intense emotions of sadness and joy. Sadness can come from anywhere. From a loss of relationships. From a loss of houses. From a loss of lands. From a loss of jobs. Rejoicing can come from anywhere. It could be the gaining of all those things. Relationships, houses, lands, and jobs. But the point is not to be emotionally carried away by things that will pass away. Do you get the drift of what Paul is saying? Don't be emotionally carried away by things that will pass away. It is a mature Christian who learns not to be led by emotions and lose all hope and motivation when things fall apart. Sadly, some Christians... They define themselves by the loss they have endured. Not remembering the Christ they have gained through faith. On the flip side, sometimes when we receive a blessing and even say it's from God, we still get away from, carried away from the gift. In other words, we're focused on the gift rather than the gift giver. Another temporary Another temporary feature that's passing away is finances. Notice it says, and those who buy as those that did not possess. Christians, especially in affluent societies, can easily be preoccupied with the accumulation of money and what it can buy. They can be distracted of kingdom work because of their homes, because of their bank accounts, their stocks, their cryptocurrency, their cars, their clothing can bring us ruin if you're overly focused on it. You need to be reminded too that this is passing away. The next temporary feature in this schema is pleasure, earthly pleasure. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. There are many pleasures that are not immoral, but when the planning of vacations and retirements and homes take over the things of Christ and the Spirit and the work of His kingdom and His church, the mission is often neglected and forgotten. To sum it all up, while all these areas of marriage and emotions and finances and pleasure, they all have their place as gifts from God, they are not to take away our focus and attention from the gospel work of Christ. 
So Paul says, there are godly reasons to stay single. If you want to do this, if you want to consider this. He says, stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances. Stay single to avert unneeded conflict from your own flesh. Stay single to focus on eternal matters. And then he says, stay single, number four, to avoid legitimate distractions. Stay single to avoid legitimate distractions. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. Here in context, the word unmarried, as he was been talking about all through 1 Corinthians 7, are those who have been divorced. So in Paul's mind, this is why I think this is very, sometimes in different churches, sometimes I see that there's often um, a lack of welcome for people who have been divorced. A lack of of hospitality for people who have been divorced. They're not to be pariahs or outcasts. Paul has Paul has a uh, Paul by the spirit of God has a plan for them as well. He says how he may please the Lord to be acceptable too. And then he says in verse 33, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world how he may please his wife. Verse 34 and his interests are divided. The concerns of the married people are divided, and rightly so. They ought to be divided in this sense. Between earthly and heavenly priorities. Here's what I mean. A husband and a wife get together. We're kind of short. How are we going to pay our mortgage this month? Or... How are we going to reach our son or our daughter's heart with the gospel? Or, how are we going to reconcile past this argument? The Bible says, in First uh, Timothy 5, 8, we have to tend to those issues. If you do not provide for your own, especially of your own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. As married people, you have to be divided between earthly and the heavenly. You have to. And Paul says, you should rightly be. But a single person doesn't need to be. He says, and the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. Let let me stop right here. If you are single now, notice he says unmarried and the virgin. Unmarried, divorced. Someone who's been married and now is divorced. And the virgin who has never been married. He says... If you are single now, you can take advantage of this time. You who raised your hands and said you were single, you could waste your singleness if you are not devoted to Christ. You could waste it on things that don't matter. You could waste it on sin. You could waste it on pursuits that really have no eternal significance. Here's what I mean by wasting. Sitting around, waiting to get married, and not doing anything else. A waste. You're waiting for something that may or may not happen. And yet God says you have this ability, you have this option to give your life in full devotion about the things of the Lord right now. Or how about this? Not redeeming the time for the glory of Christ only brings disappointment and loss of great opportunity 
for fruit. You are wasting this time. You could grow in scripture memory. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, moms of young children, is it hard to get into the scriptures? Yes? Would you say to the younger women who are not, who don't have babies, oh, get in the word right now. Let it guard your heart right now. Take as much as you can right now. Wouldn't you say that? Amen? Yes. Do great things for Christ. Learn to grow in godliness and faithfulness. Learn to grow in humility and hearing, hearing counsel. It says that she may be holy in body and spirit. And one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. He then goes on to say, And I say this for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to provoke what is seemly, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And what he's saying is, marriage does not remove devotion, and singleness does not ensure it. But he is saying singleness does have advantages. Now, I was having this talk with my daughter last night. She was reading my sermon notes. And she goes, okay, should, should I get married or should I stay single? What, what are you trying to tell me, Dad? And I'm saying, if you want to be married, you can be married. If you want to stay single, you can stay single. And then she said, well, why does Paul say it's better? It's better in the practicality. Okay. Let me tell you, if I was single and they asked me, okay, do you want to go, do you want to do a mission trip for six months in Southeast Asia? You know what all I would have to do? Get my passport and a ticket. Boom. Right? But if you ask me as a married man. Do you want to uh, do you want to do a mission trip in Southeast Asia? Everything changes. Let me talk to my wife first. Can my wife come? Okay, how about all of my kids? Okay, how are we going to secure funding for all of that? Oh my goodness, I got to get tickets and visas and passports for all of them. And all of a sudden, the cost for one person just multiplied by six. And please, I'm telling you from experience. This is, this is what I experienced. Okay? All Paul is saying is that it is better practically, faster. Brothers and sisters who are single, oh, you have this opportunity to serve him right now. You could set your schedule. You could say, yep, got it, got to go. And you have this opportunity let me tell you, I knew this when I was young. Jay would tell me all the time, you got this right now. You better do this. You better do this, Angela. You got to go. And so I would take advantage of this. I started memorizing scripture. I started sharing, uh, sharing the gospel on campus. I would do everything I can because I knew when I was married, it's not that I, I would resent being married, but it's just I wouldn't have that freedom, that ease to be able to leave for ministry anymore like that. Now I have to think of my wife, and I have to think of my kids, and I do that gladly. You understand? I do that gladly, but the only practicality, the practical nature of what Paul says is, now, when you're single, you could go whenever you want. Oh, single person, don't think you can't do anything 
for the gospel of Christ right now. Oh, you can do so much. The world has yet to see one who is fully yielded to the Spirit and to the Word of Christ. Okay. Now, stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances, to avert unneeded conflict, to focus on eternal matters, to avoid legitimate distractions. And here's, a, here's, a, here's one that might take some swallowing for you guys. Stay single to keep a willing vow. Stay single to keep a willing vow. And I have to unpack this, okay? Verses 36 to 38, let me read. If any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. What does this mean? In Jewish culture and in Roman culture, they practice arranged marriage. That was the norm. Some Corinthian fathers apparently thought it would be good to dedicate their young daughters to be permanent virgins. So maybe they would have a baby and they would say, Okay, Charis, Aletheia, you guys are going to be permanent virgins for the Lord. And then when they would grow up, they would say, Daddy, I want to get married. Now the guy is sitting there saying, well, what do I do? I made this vow. Should I, should I let up my daughter be married? Or, or, or am I breaking a vow to God? And Paul is saying, no. Let me explain. He says, verse 36, okay? If any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter. Now here's what this means. The unbecomingly means rude, improper, ill-mannered. See, the father is now realizing what he did was pre premature. He promised his daughter to the Lord, and now he sees his daughter desire to be married, and now he's in his head, he's going, this is cruel, this is ill-mannered, this is improper, this is rude. How could I do this to my daughter who wants to be married? Then it says, if she be of full age. I love this, this little phrase. I love this verse because of where I've been and what I've seen. This absolutely prohibits child brides, right? Full age, as we have seen in other countries. This is a, this is a grown lady, single lady, who's ready to be married and is telling her dad and appealing to dad, Dad, I want to be married. He says, and it must be so. Let him do what he wishes. Notice what he says. He does not sin. Let her marry. Let her marry. If she's of age and she loves the Lord and the guy loves the Lord, allow the marriage. Brothers and sisters who have daughters and sons who are of age, please, you must be focused on having them be uh, get ready to leave and cleave you. 
This is what God has designed. And it's beautiful. And it glorifies him. Verse 37, notice. But he who stands firm in his own heart being under no constraint. Now what does that mean? The constraint is coming from his daughter. The word there for constraint means necessity. The daughter is saying, Dad, I want to get married. This is my heart. Please don't make me keep this vow. He says, but has authority over his own will, that's proper motives, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. And he's saying this, if the daughter desires to do this, desires to stay single, and he has a right motive to do it, and he has a commitment to do that, he does well. So then both he who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give his, her in marriage will do better. There again, there's better again in practical applications and freedom. Now, daughters desire, here's what's happening. The daughter desires to grow in the Lord and stay at home. She has a place. And we've had this, I've had this conversation with my daughter several times. Okay. I've talked to them and I've said, uh, y'all want to stay with daddy or do you want to get married? Because you can stay with daddy. Daddy's going to take care of you. Daddy's going to provide for you. They all said, now, Daddy, we want to get married. We want to go. And I go, okay. So, what should the dad do? Let's pray for a godly spouse. Let's pray that someone godly who loves the Lord will find you. Let's pray that he'll come and marry you. See, you need to have these talks. A daughter who is godly and who wants to follow Christ desires to be under the protection and the provision of her dad. This is not just a cultural thing. This is actually what, this is how God has designed it. That the daughter who is godly desires to be under the protection and the provision and the counsel of her dad. Then this exchange occurs. What's the exchange? The exchange is when she gets married. This is why. You ever wonder why we have the father come up and then we, the, the minister, the pastor goes, who gives this woman to be married? And then everyone goes like this. Everyone's crying and crying, right? Who gives this woman? You know why we say who gives this woman? Because the father is now trading his protection, his provision, his love, and his counsel. He's saying, this is now your job, my future son-in-law. There's that exchange. See, there was meaning and significance. See, the father, you know, not, not it's, it's so strange. In this culture, the father is not even heavenly, invo- is not even heavily involved in, in the marriage and the decision making and the helping of the counseling. And I think that's wrong. Why? God says we are there to provide and to counsel. Why? If a girl starts to like a loser, 
Do you understand? And she can't see it because her her emotions are on her emotions are what's guiding it. And the father says, "You don't see what's happening here. You don't see what he's after. You don't see what he really believes. You did you even hear what he said? He is there. Your father is there to protect you and to guide you." It is the godly woman who says, the godly daughter who says, I will take that and I will receive that. I want to hear that. Thank you, Dad, for protecting me. I know that you're trying to protect me. And the father has to be true and not be some, simply someone who just never wants his daughter married. He has to understand this is the design of God and has to want that for his daughter. Now for Carlo, I don't know, man. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I told, I told the girls, I said, girls, you can stay with me as long as you want. Carlo at 18, you're out of here, buddy. <laughs> just kidding, son. Maybe a couple, six months later, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? We'll talk about it, right? But all this to say, it's foolish if a, if a father does not protect his daughter. A lot of times a father will go out with a daughter to help her buy a car. Why? Because do, he doesn't want her cheated. Will help her with her new apartment. Why? Because he'll carry the stuff for her. But he's not involved in the marriage. I think that's one of the most foolish things fathers you could do. There's a, there's a Christian uh, university up the road where much of the culture, none of them, the fathers are not really involved in the marriage selection and everything like that. I think that's foolhardy. Because what happens is uh, there's no real seeing if this guy's legit, if he is marriage material. And I think it's foolhardy for the, for the daughter to not receive this from her dad. But if the daughter desires to be single, there should be a provision in the family for that as well. So, stay single to accommodate drastic circumstances, to avert unneeded conflict, to focus on eternal matters, to avoid legitimate distractions, to keep a willing vow. It's never forced. The daughter can't keep a vow that she has not decided to keep it willingly herself. And, and lastly, to stay single, to honor marriage commitment. Some people think that this, is, this section is not related. Verse 39, it says, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she was, wishes. Notice, only in the Lord. Again, over and over again, Christians only should marry Christians. That's what the Bible says. Only in the Lord. And let me tell you, if you are playing with an idea and you are a believer in Christ and you are playing with the idea of trying to marry an unbeliever, you are going against the will of God and you will, you will face the consequences of that. But the Bible says here that the marriage commitment, the emphasis here is the marriage commitment is for life. This commitment is for your whole life. Make sure if you're going to marry, this is what you want or cut off the relationship now. And spare the man and the woman the heartache of divorce. But then Paul says, in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. He's saying, not, 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 this, he's saying, not as a command, but here's wisdom and counsel for you. In my opinion, this is what Paul is saying. You could be happier if you're by yourself, if you didn't have to remarry. 
And he says, and I think I have the spirit of the Lord. And he's speaking a little bit sarcastically. And he's saying, uh, other folks were claiming they had the spirit of the Lord. But Paul says, I have the spirit of the Lord. See, all this to say, brothers and sisters, that singleness is a viable and considerate option for those in the church who desire to be fully devoted to him. We ought not mock them. We, not, we ought not think that they're just coping with life. But they, are, they, are, uh, they can be used for the example of serving Christ, Christ himself. Right? Amen? Amen? Isn't it wonderful that he gives us light so we don't have to bump around in the darkness? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can worship you and glorify you both in being married and being single. And thank you for giving us clear instruction. We pray, Father, Lord, if we decide to marry, we would do it for the right reasons. That is to glorify you. And if we desire to be single, that we would stay single for your glory. That is to glorify you. Help us. Thank you so much. Help us to sing this last song in the heat. We are thankful to be here. Thankful to be with one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.